All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome back to the DFO Rundown. We are on episode five. I'm Jason Greger. And Frank Saravalli in uh, lovely Philadelphia. Frankie, how you doing? I'm good. No one's ever said lovely Philadelphia before. You know what, man? Uh, I've been to Philly twice. And the first time I went there was uh, I was actually doing a, a, an MMA fight in New Jersey. And so I, I flew in. They got me into Philadelphia. And I was amazed by the bridges, like just blown away by how tall they were in all these different areas. And it was crazy. And then, uh, uh, just got on the highway and drove down to, uh, uh, just outside New Jersey and did an MMA fight. So you were the fighter? No, God, no, no. I was the announcer, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not an MMA. I, I love MMA as like, I didn't like it early. And then I got introduced to it by a guy by the name of Mark Pavlich who ran uh, uh, maximum fighting championships. He invited me down and I sat uh, ringside and, you know, we discussed it and I kind of learned the, the ins and outs of the game because my introduction to uh, MMA had been like the original UFC where there was no rules and like 250 pounders were fighting 160 pounders and there was hair pulling and everything. And I was like, man, this is barbaric. And then I never really watched it again until that. And so it was awesome for a few years. I did quite a few fights and, uh, with, uh, with, um, you know, in the States and in Canada, it was a lot of fun. Wow. So hair pulling, how would that work with you? Yeah, well, that would be my one advantage, right? Um, but it was like, I, I don't know if you ever watched any of the original days, man, but it was like, it was just barbaric, really. In a way. And, you know, this coming from a hockey guy who loves a good hockey fight, but usually, you know, the thing about hockey fights that I've always found different than a street fight was usually like if you knock the guy down, 
it was over, right? The refs would jump in, or if you're getting a real good, uh, you know, pounding on the guy, the refs would stop it. But, you know, in, in here, the rules were no one stopped it unless the guy was basically out. So it was, uh, it was tough to watch as a young guy. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, like, it doesn't really do a lot for me. Like, I'll watch every now and again. I'll, I'll grab a pay-per-view with some buddies. But um, I went to one UFC in Philly, and that was fun to be, like, kind of ringside for that. But other than that, like, you know, I'm not, like, seeking out UFC or anything like that. Yeah, I like, I, you know, nowadays, there's a few guys that will grab your attention. Like, when McGregor fights, he, you know, he hasn't been as good as last few fights. But he still, he brings an energy. Like, really, one of the best parts of that is the hype. Like, when you're in the arena and there's that buildup. And just like a good boxing fight. And I'm lucky enough to be in a lot of boxing matches as well. Where you can, when someone starts winning and you can just feel the intensity. Like, it's like the old Coliseum days, man. And people are just, like, thirsty to see a knockout. Yeah, I get that. And when you're there, it's different. But my thing is, like, I feel like McGregor now and, and a couple of these other guys, they're not as hungry, right? Like, they, it almost seems like when they get to these enormous paydays that they sell out, it's almost like they're just in it just for the cash. They've gotten beat up so many times that they've got nothing left. And so, you know, it's so rare that the actual fight lives up to the hype and the buildup. Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. The, the one thing, though, that the UFC does very well is they hype it up. And if there, was, if there was one thing the NHL I would like to see more is a little bit more trash talk leading up to games. I think it's kind of like a soap opera-ish a little bit, but fans love it. Fans love drama. I mean, I think I'm a fan of sports. I kind of like it a little bit. And like the last McGregor fight, like, there was no trash talk before. I'm like, well, that's kind of part and parcel. So I wish we would see a little bit more of that like you think last year when the orders and, and uh, flames after uh, kachuk ran cassian and cassian comes out and you know says what he says well people are just everybody's hyped to see that next game and we just we don't see that too often like imagine if pittsburgh and washington had a little trash talk every now and then or you know pick your team pittsburgh and philly right yeah. like that the fans in both markets would go crazy right and you remember how you know, there was the the picture of Sidney Crosby on the paper in Philly, and he said, I don't like people here. And, you know, that whole thing went back and forth. Like, that's that's when it gets to the next level. But it, most of the time in hockey, like, what we see is, you know, if we have a McDavid-Matthews matchup, which, like, you know, God forbid the next time that happens with all the fawning over Matthews and McDavid, um, they they do – they, all they do is downplay it. You know, everyone yeah. – tuning in to see these two guys and they're like oh it's not about me it's about the team like why not just say something to stir it up a little bit that's not what hockey players do but i think everyone would be more interested in it and i think outsiders who are casual hockey fans that's when you might be able to get them to tune in is two of the best players in the world going toe to toe and yet all they want to do and, and their coaches want to do is downplay it before they even get there yeah, yeah, we respect them, and I, and I get they respect them, but uh, you still want to beat them. And and actually, Frank, guess what? Just for you, starting this Saturday, three consecutive games, Matthews, McDavid, they play on uh, February twenty seventh, then March first, and uh, March third. So uh, you will you will get to uh, see the fawning at uh, full level. Yeah, and look again, uh, all credit to Austin Matthews, but like Connor McDavid, you know, Saturday night with the response that he provided after there was so much attention being paid to Matthews, like next level, oh, you scored two goals and you've got, what, 18 and 17 games? That's great, but I'm going to go have a five-point night. And 
it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. The ability to casually toy with NHL teams, uh, much less in a rivalry game like that. It, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, it, it really is. And it was funny that somebody on Twitter put out the meme and everybody's seen that meme where there's the guy walking down the street, there's a girl on his right corner and there's a girl going the other way. And uh, this time the guy was hockey Twitter, right? And then it was Matthews was the girl on the right and McDavid's the one on the left. And that's probably the, one of the funniest times I've ever seen that meme used because it is true. Twitter is very quick reactionary. It's all about in the now what's happening right now. And people were loving Matthews. And then all of a sudden McDavid's like, Oh, just wait, I'm still here guys. Uh, here's a five point night. And I, I love it. Like, I love the fact that right now the, the, the orders are playing well. Toronto's obviously playing very well. McDavid's and Matthews and then Marner and Dryside. Like, those three games in the middle of the season, it's good to get some hype for it. I think it'll, it'll be off the charts because it'll be Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday night. And, and I would guess there'll be a lot of viewers even in the, in the States that will be watching. Yeah, and look, um, it had to feel even better for the Oilers on Saturday night coming against Calgary. Like, the more they can create separation between themselves and the Flames and the Canucks, they're, they're guaranteeing themselves a playoff spot if they can do that. So that's critical. Uh, everyone's looking forward to that, that matchup on Saturday now, now that you inform me when it is, because, you know, with so few teams in the division, like, you just suspect that they'd play them soon. But, um, you know, it's going to be amazing to see these two teams. And, and the Oilers trending in the right direction, by the way, 8-2 and two in their last 10 against, you know, this should be some sort of measuring stick for how they stack up against the team that's emerged as the top in the division after the Montreal Canadiens have kind of, the wheels are falling off in Montreal. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to have a new segment. We're going to introduce our uh, producer in a second, uh, Ty, who will come in. Uh, we've got a new buy or sell segment. But quickly, Frank, I want to update. Uh, was there any shoveling with no gloves this week? Are you guys getting bombarded with snow still? No snow, and it's about to get really warm here. The days are getting longer. I just saw something on Twitter. In three weeks, we'll be having uh, daylight until 7 p.m. Like, it can't come soon enough. Uh, no snow, and it's going to be in the low 50s here later this week. So getting closer to golf season. Do you know how to quickly compare Fahrenheit to Celsius? I, I don't. I just guess based on what I think I know. Like, I, I my guess is like, Low 50s is somewhere around like 10. I think so, yeah, because zero uh, Celsius is 32 Fahrenheit. I know that. And then there is, I know there's some formula. Maybe one of our listeners can tweet it at us. That would be great because I could never, and I'm good at math, but I've never actually looked to figure out how you can do it quickly. Because when you tell me it's 50, I'm like, yeah, okay, I think that's 10, but yeah, I don't really. But like, I, I just, I go based on like what I think is in the general ballpark and I throw it out there and someone's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. And like, I'm like, oh, good. I seem like quasi-intelligent. <laughs> All right. Now let's get to our new segment. We're going to welcome in uh, producer Ty. He is going to be running it. Uh, Ty, how you doing, my man? I'm good, Jason. Also, by the way, Frank, I looked it up. 50 Fahrenheit, you're bang on. 10 degrees Celsius. You nailed it. Yeah, like, it just gets, and I, and I end up coming out looking smart. 
Look at Ty, though, by the way, Frank. He's got a matching toque and, and sweater right there. Color coordinated. I like it. Is he playing for the Montreal Maroons back in the day or what? Uh, people were people were tweeting us saying that the fashion on the show wasn't very good, so hence why I figured I got to start turning on my camera and getting involved a little bit here. Uh, but the new segment, guys. Hey, look at this sweet shirt right here. <laughs> little James Dean for you. Love it. Uh, the new segment, guys, buy or sell. I'm going to give you a statement, and you got to let me know. Are you buying or selling on that? So we will get started with... Uh, Something on Sidney Crosby. It was his 1,000th game over the weekend. Sidney Crosby is a top five all-time player. Buy or sell? I'm going to go buy. Uh, I got Gretzky one, Lemieux two or three, Crosby four, Gordie Howe five. Uh, he's right in there. Two, uh, three Stanley Cups, two Conn Smythes. Uh, better, way better than a point per game. 1,278 points in 1,000 games. That's a buy. That's hard to argue with that. Uh, to me, it's if his career ended today, would I put him top five? Man, there's some other guys. Granted, the, the other guys are more from, from past decades. Really, I think in the last 30 years, for sure. The only other guy maybe would be Yager. But Yager, I think, had more longevity. I, will still, I still have Nick Lidstrom in my uh, top five. I think Nick Lidstrom was one of the most underrated players of all time. Like He was dominant. So uh, I'm going to sell for now. But I think in three years, he'll be top five. On to the next one here. Kevin Lankinen and the Chicago Blackhawks. They are a playoff team. Gregor, buy or sell? I'm selling, man. And, and I, trust me, Patrick Kane is, is my favorite player to watch when the puck's on his stick in the offensive zone. He's a wizard. But uh, they're getting crushed uh, at every analytics, uh, every goals for at five on five. And their special teams is keeping him in. But uh, I've seen that, and eventually it'll derail. So uh, I am selling on the Hawks being a playoff team. I'm going sell on the Hawks being a playoff team. I think points percentage... You take a look at the standings. They're right on the bubble. I think one of Carol uh, Columbus or Dallas will pass them. And I'm, But I am going to buy on Kevin Lankinen. He's a guy that you talk to some people in the goalie world is emerging as a legit number one potential. And I think he's right there in the mix for the Finnish Olympic team, too, to be in their second or third goalie. You guys touched on Connor McDavid a little bit earlier. Connor McDavid will hit the 100-point mark in the regular season. Frank, you buying or selling? Buying. Uh, how many games left against the Ottawa Senators? Is it six? Five. Like that. Five? Perfect. Three points a game. That gives you another 15 points. And then I think the math still holds up, especially after dropping a five-point bomb on Saturday, that uh, you really only need to play just about at your career average, which... For him, isn't hard to do. Yeah, I'm buying, but not because of the Senators. Uh, the Senators are actually one of the teams where uh, uh, he went uh, over uh, this year. The, the Sens uh, suddenly are more competitive. But I just, McDavid, his five-on-five scoring, it sounds crazy, but it was a little bit slow for him to start the year. And now his line has scored in four games in a row, five-on-five, five, including himself. Uh, I think he's going to get back to his five-on-five five levels. So, yeah, he's uh, I'm buying on 110, and I'm really thinking he's got a shot to push 110. Sorry, I'm buying 100, and I'm pushing to 110. You guys touched on Austin Matthews a little bit already. And, Frank, last episode you said it's ridiculous that he could get a goal a game. But I think Austin Matthews will get 50 goals. You buying or selling? I'm selling. Like, it seemed to stir up some social media buzz with Leafs Nation. Like, why? Alex Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer of all time, with all due respect to everyone that came before him. And the most that he's put up is 48 in 56. This is one man extremely hot in Austin Matthews. 
Obviously, he's capable of scoring at a significant clip, but 50 and 55, like, come on. Like, let's talk about a stat that's actually achievable. That's Mitch Marner, 56 assists in 56 games. Oh, I'm buying, baby, but I love goals. Hey, uh, Cam Neely got uh, 50 in, uh, in 49 once. So uh, I, I think, uh, Matthews, can he get 50 and 55? Because he's already missed a game. Uh, I think 50 and 55. He's not high, but I'm buying on 50 because I love goals. For the last one, guys, we're going to stay in the all-Canadian division. I think the Canadians will not come top two in the North. Buy or sell, Frank? Sell. I picked the Habs to win the North division. They looked like a juggernaut to start. They're a team that has lost their way a bit. I truly believe that Claude Julien is in trouble. Um, and moving forward, they can get back there if they can find their confidence again. That team has all the assets, size, strength, speed, creativity, young, young talent. I think they're a team that's going to be right there. They've set themselves apart from the rest, and it's going to be a dogfight for three and four in the north. Yeah, well, I'm buying all day long, Ty. I look at the, the Canadians. If, if William Nylander or Ryan Nugent Hopkins is your best forward... I don't think you're going to finish top two. And, and I like Nylander, Nugent Hopkins, but that's essentially what Montreal's best guys are. They don't have a Matthews or a Marner or a McDavid or a Drysaddle. I don't think they can compete in the elite uh, of Toronto and Edmonton offensively. And Carey Price, for whatever reason right now, is really struggling. So here's my other question. What would the Seattle Kraken do if Price agrees to waive his no-movement clause and he gets exposed in the expansion draft? Would they make him their Marc-Andre Fleury, kind of their face of their franchise? And do you think Carey Price, who's from uh, the West Coast, would consider it, Frank? Why would, why would the Kraken consider it? That contract is a potential to be an anchor with a capital A. I mean, seriously, moving forward, I, it would be difficult for the Habs to move it if they wanted to, yet... Then you'd have to, to even get to that part, you'd have to ask a whole series of other questions. Would the Habs even ask Price to move? Why would they need wait, wait, Why would they need him to waive? Uh, is that in order to keep Jake Allen? Like, I, I don't know. Like, it doesn't really seem, the whole thing doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, the, the premise, because I think the Habs are married to carry Price for better or for worse. Well, look at how good Jake Allen played last year. Look at how well he's playing this year. And you look at Carey Price now for three seasons. I, Montreal brought in Jake Allen. The, the, the Kraken aren't taking that deal, and they're not going to hamstring themselves with $10.5 million a year uh, for their goaltender. I, I don't see many teams willing to pay that much for any netminder, let alone a guy who could potentially be on the decline soon if he's not there already. Yeah, well, and that's the question. I was like, would Seattle do it? if the opportunity was there because, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, now granted they had won cups, of course, but he had kind of lost his starting job to Matt Murray at that time. And some people wondered if he would get it back. And so I just wonder, does a change of scenery help carry price? Cause it's fascinating to me when you look at his numbers, Frank, like he's not just, you know, on the cusp of like a 900 or like, he's like an 880 save percentage right now, which is mind blowing to me. Yeah. And he started actually out really well in the first few games of the season, which, kind of goes to show you, given the numbers, how poor he's been in the last few. But I, you mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury, and I, will, I want to throw this at you. What happens if he's the Seattle Kraken goaltender that they pick to start their expansion team? Because the Golden Knights are going to have to make a similar decision with Leonard and Fleury because they both are under contract. So 
one of those guys is going to be exposed. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was Leonard just because of his contract uh, and the term that remains on it. But it would make a lot of sense. Flurry having done it once before, you know, you look at his numbers. Some people would say he's the comeback player of the year or certainly one of them or in the conversation based off of last season. And to me, my argument with Flurry is I think he's been good all along. I haven't seen one ounce of decline in Marc-Andre Flurry's game at any point to suggest that he's, you know, growing a little bit worse with age. No, you bring up a valid point for Vegas. And I wonder how many teams, Frank, are, are going to see if they can convince players with big contracts to uh, waive if they have a no-movement clause at all or just to expose them just to see. Because, you know, the, the flat cap moving forward to me is going to be fascinating. I think pending UFAs are not going to get the money they thought they would get even a year ago. And, you know, Leonard, because you have term, you're right, like, Price is a, is a major risk. There's no question about it. But there is, there is something to be said about having a big marquee name to start for an organization. And uh, he is from the West Coast. So who knows if, if he somehow finds his game in the second half of the season or maybe in the postseason. I wonder if it changes the uh, conversation a bit. But the, the expansion draft to me, I don't expect teams to do what they did against Vegas, like Columbus and Minnesota and ones that obviously in hindsight made some brutal errors and gave up really good players for, you know, ended up losing two players. Florida was probably one of the worst with Smith and Marsha. So, but I think this year it's going to be about trying to convince players on long-term deals to be exposed. Like there'll be some, like Jeff Skinner is obviously getting exposed and guys like that, I would assume, you know, if teams can convince them to do it. This has the potential. I don't want to make everyone all hot and horny here in mid-February or late February, but this has the potential to be the best summer or off-season in hockey history. When you consider the potential names that could be out there, we don't know what happens with Crosby and Malkin in Pittsburgh. What happens if they don't make the playoffs and the Penguins begin to have the conversation about a rebuild? What about in Florida, Huberto and Barkov? Are those guys willing to sign extensions there? Then you've got the UFA market, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Ryan Getzlaff, uh, John Gibson, the netminder. Uh, then you've got the expansion draft. So many other layers to this. Uh, I, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. Uh, you mentioned Buffalo. Jack Eichel, what happens there? Like This summer has the potential to be absolute bananas. Let's get to Frankly Speaking. And I know Frank is fired up about something this week. Yeah, you know, I, I saw so much coverage. And I guess it's like par for the course with Twitter um, feigning outrage, uh, calling this weekend the mistake on the lake. And I'm like, wait a second, that that's Cleveland. Um, you know, that's not uh, the NHL outdoors at Lake Tahoe. And so everyone wants to be critical. I actually give the NHL props in this case because this wasn't a money-making venture for the league. When you think about their outdoor games that they've put on in the past, the expense that's required to do so, yeah, they were selling 60, 70, 80,000 tickets that made it a bonanza and a big reason why the league kept going outdoors, not just because it looked good, but because it made a lot of money. And no fans there. You know, I'm sure it cost a lot to put on th these games. Uh, you know, maybe a little feather in the cap for some sponsors who have been around for a long time. But this was for the look and for the vista. And they pulled that off spectacularly well. My beef with the NHL is that they started Saturday afternoon's game. The ice looked terrible from the start and was significant, significant ruts there. 
So they decided to play it anyway, try and get that first period in because they were in the national broadcast window and they knew that if they couldn't, that what would end what ended up playing out in this case, which was coming back after midnight Eastern, uh, which is no good to anyone after Saturday Night Live, um, that that would be the consequence. So they they had the national TV window, they had the perfect views, and they wanted to get that in, but it it made the playing conditions unsafe. You watch guys falling all over the ice, um, you know tripping over the blue line at center ice guys were repeatedly falling down. If Nathan McKinnon blew out a knee on Saturday afternoon, that first period, we'd have a whole different story to talk about. So my gripe isn't that the NHL went and tried it, that they had weather issues, any of that. I loved it. I thought Sunday night, they went out and totally redeemed themselves with that evening game. But my issue was starting Saturday afternoon when you knew the ice was bad because that created a dangerous environment for the players and for the officials that were on the ice. And if someone got hurt, we, like I said, it'd be a totally different story. No, that's totally fair. fair. I, I played actually in the world's longest game uh, in back in 2005, where we played for 250 straight hours outdoors. And when it started, it was sunny. And so when I was watching, I'm like, well, the blue lines, any, any where you have paint underneath and we didn't have any logos on the ice. So obviously the logos made it worse, but it's slushy and there's, you virtually can't glide. That's the, like, there's so much gliding in hockey. It saves energy. And we had that like for a day and a half and then it got cold again, thankfully. But, uh, you know, lots of guys were twisting ankles. Now, you know, we're a bunch of, you know, schmucks, so it's a little bit different. But that's all I thought about. And, and you're right, Frank. Like, why start the game? Had you waited, you probably could have started maybe at, at uh, 9 Eastern, right? Or, or a little bit later in the day even if you – because you, they obviously really chopped up the ice, so then they had to resurface it numerous times just to get it back to decent. Right, and so then 9 Eastern is like 6 Pacific, and the sun is kind of just setting, and it would have looked good, but then you're running into that Saturday Night Live window, and I think there was a whole bunch of broadcast issues or windows that they had to work around, and that's what okay. made it really difficult. So again, I know why they wanted to try it, but once it became pretty evident halfway through that period, they probably should have stopped. That's yeah, my and, and that's totally fair. Other, but Other than that... To, to sit here and criticize the league for trying something different that clearly wasn't a cash grab. Like, what do you want? Like, I, I give them full marks for trying to do something out and think outside the box and, and go to Tahoe. I find social media is more of a place for people to complain. And so I kind of just went off of it because you're right. There's uh, you'll, the people will, the, the hindsight police are the best out there because I didn't hear, I didn't see one person who wrote me, hey, guys, this is not going to be great to do it in midday because of the sun. So if if no one out there who's complaining thought, I know they'll say, well, that's the NHL's job. But sometimes, you know, things get overlooked and and it's unfortunate. But um, you know what? Uh, Boston and Philly game went off really without a hitch. They had to change the time start, but it went off OK. And you know was- what? Uh, sometimes, you know, you're looking to try new things. And just because it doesn't work doesn't mean that, uh, that, you know, we need to neuter people and, and never try. If no one ever tries something new. But I will say this, watching that, the scenic views is something that a lot of people, like I, I know in, in Western Canada because of the Rockies, are like, man, could you have an Oilers Flame game here? You know, there'll, there'll be other places that think, is this something that's possible? But if you can't have fans there, Frank, because ultimately you want to make money if you're a league, I wonder if they'll do it again unless there's a place where they can have fans. Yeah, and that that remains to be seen. I, I think they really wanted to do Lake Louise, and they they tried, 
They ran into some issues with the federal government in terms of what they were prohibited in selling sponsorships and things like that. And look, it's coronavirus, COVID-19. Like you couldn't have fans even if you wanted to, even though it's outside. So this was the perfect year to try something different. It just bothers me to see all these people on Twitter. It's like, if you're not outraged, you're not, you're not trying. And it's like, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Well, let's transition that into something I think uh, there'll be a little outrage about is uh, we got uh, a Hall of Fame guest coming up today on uh, the DFO Rundown as uh, we are going to be joined by Haley Wickenheiser right now. Let's bring her in. And now we are joined by a very special guest. She is the Assistant Director of Player Development for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Of course, she spent 23 years with Canada's women's hockey team. Uh, she's the all-time leading scorer won four gold medals at the Olympics, a silver, also went to the Olympics as a softball player, and uh, of course in 2019 was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I guess in her spare time, she's becoming a doctor. So seemingly does a lot of stuff. Haley Wickenheiser joins us. Haley, how you doing? Hey, Jason. Good. How are you guys? Good. Uh, I hear you're six weeks away from uh, becoming a resident, so I guess the, the big decision is uh, what, what you're going to go and specialize in. How how tough of a decision is that for a doctor to know which way you're going? I think it, it it becomes difficult at the start, but as you go through medicine, you really gravitate towards what you like. And then the next part is applying to residency programs and actually getting into the thing that you like. So that's what all of med students across Canada are going through right now. It's called the CARMS process. And uh, so we're in the midst of interviews for different programs across the country at, at, uh, in a couple of weeks. Clearly, you're somebody who likes to be busy and, and work a lot on top of uh, doing your residency and in med school, you're assistant uh, director for a player development for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, during COVID, you know, there's no training camps or anything. So how, did, how has that role changed? What, what have you been doing in that role for the past few months? Yeah, well, it's been uh, it's been quite a year. I mean, uh, when the pandemic hit, I think all of us player development uh, quickly uh, shifted to, to Zoom. I know with the Leafs, we did a deep dive on every prospect and every player from a physical skill, technical, mental development standpoint. Uh, and then um, when the bubbles started to open in the various cities, uh, especially this, I've been going back and forth between Toronto and Calgary finishing medicine, but our staff in Toronto in particular were uh, at the rink every day for four months with players that um, were in the unofficial uh, bubble. And uh, I was doing that as well when I was in Toronto back and forth. Um, right now, as the season has started, we have some staff that are uh, in the leaf bubble and some staff that are in the Marley bubble. And then uh, what we're all doing uh, on the side is um, a lot of, uh, again, looks into the players early on in the season, five, six games in, see what areas we can continue to help improve and give the coaching staff any, you know, little things that they can work on in development time. So it's definitely changed the way that we do business, but it's been um, a really interesting process. I think we've made actually some significant gains in the way that our whole um, group operates and communicates with each other. And it's been uh, a lot of fun evolving <laughs> through the year. So Haley, how do you split your time between medicine and, and the Leafs and what you're doing? Um, so I typically I, I've been uh, kind of, I'll, I'll say sort of a month on, month off kind of thing. When I'm in Toronto, I was able to do some rotations 
in medicine. So things like family medicine, obstetrics, I was able to do in Ontario. Um, and then I'd be back in Calgary for another rotation. So as my rotations evolve and depending on where they were um, approved before the pandemic hit, uh, that's where I ended up. So uh, it's really limited, obviously, the amount that we can travel and move around. I was in Toronto um, a fair bit more prior to the pandemic, but uh, six weeks to go and then uh, hopefully things will be different as well. <laughs> yeah, well, congratulations on that. And now just to, to narrow down on exactly what you're doing with the Leafs, are you kind of devouring some video and then are you, are you having Zoom calls specifically with the players to, to work through some things or how does it yeah. work? Uh, before the season started, that's what we were doing. Um, definitely this morning I was looking at Adam Brooks, for example, is for six games of the season, uh, sort of uh, taking into account like his development priorities and, and areas that he's either improved in or we can continue to support the coaching staff and helping him improve in. Um, so that's sort of our projects right now are to take individual players, whether it's the Leafs or the Marlies at this point. Um, different, different areas, uh, different folks are doing different things. And then um, on the ground in Toronto, we would be in the bubble. And as you guys well know, the, the testing protocols are pretty impressive in the NHL right now. So you're COVID tested every day for the next day. And, and if you're going to games, you get the rapid test as well. So um, it's really impressive what the NHL has done. And in particular, what the Leafs have done, I think, through the pandemic to keep everybody safe. Haley, your, your resume, of course, speaks for itself. You know, you're one of the best hockey players around. As, a, as player development and you know, being a female kind of in, in a man's world in the National Hockey League, how, how, how was that getting in? Has it changed at all in the brief time you've been in? Or, or do you feel like there's, is, is there more of, I have to prove myself, is, is it more of a challenge being a woman? I don't feel like it's a challenge because I've spent my whole life in this world. <laughs> so I think when I was younger, it was this constant, like, I'm going to show you kind of thing. And people were always sort of skeptical. And now I don't feel like there's anything left to prove. I, I know what I'm doing. I I'm confident in my abilities. I think within the Leafs, we have a very good staff. I mean, we've got... Uh, Three women in player development alone, Barb Underhill and Randy Milani, who work with the skating, and then myself, um, and uh, and then our, our the rest of our, our group that we uh, communicate quite well constantly through WhatsApp and different clips every day that we're watching and talking about. So it's I felt like this is probably the best year that player development has had in the three years that I've been with the Leafs, actually. So uh, I think we've made a lot of gains. You mentioned Barb Underhill, and I know Braden Point, who plays in Tampa, and, and a lot of your prospects and players have worked with her. And you go back to, to when you started and just even the the, the evolving in, in, in edge work and, and how much that allows players to be better. Like, I don't know if you've been on the ice with Barb or not, but you know, how much better do you think you would have been if you got that training at a young age? Well, I did skate with Barb actually when I was still playing. I, I've uh, known Barb for a long time and we did some sessions through the years. Uh, and even with Daryl Belfry, who I worked with for eight years before I retired, I mean, working with Barb. So it's a lot of crossover. Um, is, skating is, is huge. And I think now what you're seeing is, you know, old style skating is like long stride, never cross your feet, straight lines. And now you look at McDavid, as you, as you guys well know there, uh, everything he does and why he's so fast is everything's on an angle and in a crossover. And so I think that's the way in which the game is changing. It's the ability to change directions, the ability to go east, west, and then north, south, and actually keep accelerating, which, um, you know, he's the best in the world at doing that. So skating is definitely, I know that uh, with the Leafs, they put a lot of stock in that, and Barb has done a great job with the players that she's worked with. You can really see the progression that they can make through just even a few weeks.
Ellie, you've put so much time and effort into medicine and, and hockey's been your whole life. Do you have a decision to make sort of when you get through this um, with school? Like, are you, are you, do you think you can continue to do both at the same time? Well, you asked me the, <laughs> the million dollar question there, Frank. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I, I don't know at this point. I mean, I, I am really uh, trying to do my residency in Toronto in the GTA. Um, so hopefully that will happen. And, and then uh, the Leafs have been great. They understand that medicine's a bit more rigid than hockey is the last little bit. And when I started with the Leafs, I made it kind of clear to Kyle Dubis that I was going to finish medicine. That's something I've always wanted to do. So I'll see, you know, what, you know, where the future holds here. My contract's up in July and depending on what they want to do. But I, I, I want to continue to work in hockey for sure. And I've been able to blend the two so far and I don't see why I couldn't um, down the road depending on what my role is but I'm kind of open-minded about whatever could happen mm -hmm. so let's dive into the state of the women's game you've been pretty steadfast all along in your belief that in order for the women's pro hockey league to get off the ground or pro hockey leagues I should say they need support from the NHL and, and now we're seeing that um, with the PWPHA in terms of um, these games with the Maple Leafs, you've got the Blackhawks and Rangers involved. So they're getting, they're starting to get some more of that support. Where do you kind of sense and what's your evaluation on where things stand at the moment? Well, I think what we're seeing is exactly what I talked about a little while ago in the sense of um, there's no room for two leagues and the, the, the NWHL, the league that tried to make a go of it and like Placid and ultimately couldn't do it with, I guess, a COVID shutdown. Um, you know, that league's not going to be able to survive and move forward. So when the best players in the world are not playing in that league, <laughs> that tells you something. So the way forward is um, this group of players that's holding out the, the PWHPA. I don't know what the, the next entity will look like. I'm not really involved in the discussions at all. Um, but I know that I think there's some things brewing with the NHL here to move forward and create a create a league and I ha had the pandemic not hit we might have seen this a little bit sooner but I think that really slowed the momentum for the women's game so hopefully they can get that back and you know with um, NHL clubs I think they know the entity to support and and clear it's clear when the Leafs and the, and the Rangers etc putting their money behind the PWHPA you kind of know that that's that's the league of the future so I think that's pretty safe to say that's what we're going to see down the road. And, and you look at, at that league, and I, you know, I've talked to, to some of the active uh, players right now, and they're excited about it, but they're also kind of frustrated. And obviously COVID, as you mentioned, uh, plays a big role in it. But, you know, six teams seems like a realistic number to start, you know, more of a regional Eastern league, uh, just because of, you know, less travel. Like the cost factor obviously is one of it. Um, I find that a lot of the, the, the players are very willing to want to help grow their game. Whereas sometimes in the NHL, the players maybe take it, take it for granted uh, how important that stuff is. And so when you see, let's say COVID and you're in the medical industry, let's look at it positively, maybe next season, you know, things will get back close to normal. In, in your utopian world, like what would be the best strategy for the, for the women's league to start and have success? So I would say exactly what you just said, Jason. I think six teams max, uh, probably Eastern base where you're limiting travel. Um, you could either, you could play in NHL venues, but you're probably better off to play in a in sort of a smaller junior, junior size ranks where you're getting, you know, eight to 10,000 people a game. Um, a shortened season, maybe a 40 game season um, to limit budget as well as, you know, the, just the, the costs that players are going to have to be paid. I don't think any 
player in the world expects to be paid NHL type salaries and they all understand that in order to grow the game they're going to have to do uh, they're going to have to be very fan facing very open to doing things that are maybe untraditional in the hockey world which is kind of this uh, very sort of stale traditional environment um, and uh, and it comes down to TV so who's going to be the one to pick up the TV contracts and and who's going to televise these games and where is it going to happen so I think we need the, the American market for sure um, that's where the money is going to come from and the passion will come from Canada so it'll be interesting how how important is it do you think to ensure that the league is just like the NHL when it comes to European players and, and having Finland and Sweden and making sure like so this is the best of the best and it doesn't have to be just North American players well if you're paying players that's not going to be a problem the problem is that you're you're asking you know the best player from Finland and Sweden to come and play and they're you know, working a part-time job or making a thousand dollars a month and they could be playing back in Sweden and, and making money or, or in Finland or, or in some of the European leagues that actually pay some of these women to play. So you're right. Like the, the best players in the world have to be in this league or it's not going to be a good product. And there are European players that fit into the top 120 players in the world. It's not just all North Americans. So, so that'll be, that'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think if, if players are paid, they will come to play. We've talked a lot about your role with um, the development department with the Leafs, but just thinking on a broader macro level in terms of women involvement in front offices, what what's the next step, do you think? What's the next step that needs to be taken um, as, as women continue to climb the ranks in these organizations to ultimately be considered for the top positions, do you think? Well, I think there's a few things. I think... Uh, you know, getting women into into roles and then having time in those roles and to learn, you know, to learn the business, to be around the game, to understand how the inner workings of the NHL operate. I think open mindedness of, uh, of, of people running these clubs is very important. I always say you need champions. So, you know, I think of early on in the women's game. One of the the champions or two of the champions that I think about are people would say that's very untraditional, but Bobby Clark and Brian Burke. I mean, those are the two guys that uh, I that come to mind right away as probably the most supportive um, men in hockey that I've ever been around. And and you know, old school would say, well, they they shouldn't like the women's game. They're kind of these old school tough guys, but quite the opposite. So. Um, I think it's surprising how much support is there, um, but you can't just plunk somebody in there just because of their gender or their race. You've got to be able to be competent to do the job, but so you need to uh, open opportunities up to, to learn the game and to do that. How close do you think we are to seeing that? Uh, to, in which, in well, there's already, obviously there's women in roles in the NHL. If you're talking about a GM position, is that what you're getting at? Or? Yeah, like GM, president of hockey ops, uh, someone being on the bench. Like how, how far away from that are we, are we seeing to see that? I don't really know. I mean, I think it's probably imminently coming. It's just going to depend <laughs> on timing situation and, and the right opportunity. But I, I, it's there. It's the opportunities are there. If uh, somebody was interested and capable of taking advantage, I don't think that the game is completely close to that. That whereas say five years ago, ten years ago, I would have said there's no chance. I see like the door has kind of propped its way open. Um, you know who's going to be the first one to do it? That's always that's always tough, right? Who's going to be that first one to take that to take that chance? But the world is changing pretty fast in those areas, so I don't see it as such a barrier. And then Haley, from a, from the women's game perspective, you look at like the NBA and the WNBA and the NFL, like the greats of the greats of those leagues are a lot of times 
you know, heavily involved with it, especially on a, on a, on a media broadcast side. Um, we look at yourself and, you know, maybe an Angela James or, you know, Cassie Campbell, of course, now is in the NHL. But when the women's game comes on, how important do you think it would be to have, you know, like big names of the women's game involved with the women's game? Maybe not necessarily as coaches, but more in like a, in a public profile. Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, everybody loves, uh, I'll use the NHL as a comparison. Everybody loves to see the greats of the game back involved in the NHL. I mean, you know, to see Mario with Pittsburgh or, you know, Wayne sitting in the box in Edmonton and just being involved. Like, that's that's fun for fans and for people. Um, you know, and my, my biggest sort of concern for the women's game to get off the ground is actually on the business operations side is just, can we get a solid model that's going to run itself and let's just get the best people for the jobs. And if that's the best players that have played the game, then that's a bonus, but that that's what has to happen first. And I think the best players in, in women's hockey will always want to be involved with a league as long as it's a credible league. And right now, I don't think too many want to be involved in <laughs> the shambles that's, that's gone on till we, till we get a good league going. So with with COVID, how and I don't know how how close you are. Uh, you've spent twenty three years with the with the women's national team. How how much of a challenge is that right now? And you think about you know obviously you know you got the the Olympics coming up soon, but you really kind of went a year without playing. How challenging is it going to be for, for especially Canada and U.S. because they still dominate? Yeah, I mean you know the World Championships are supposed to be held in Halifax in April. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do that, but. It's a little bit disheartening, I guess, to look at, you know, they host the World Juniors in Edmonton in a bubble. Uh, we know they're probably not going to invest in that in women's hockey, but it's the right thing to do. They should do that for the for the women's game to hold a world championship in this. They could do it. The IHF could do it. Um, so I wonder if they will. Um, they're talking about maybe pushing it back to August. Um, so I don't know. I don't. We don't have a crystal ball to see how COVID is going to go. But April seems a bit early, a bit premature. But, you know, if they do the right sort of bubble scenario I suppose anything's possible but it is it's it's hard to lose a year so hopefully for the Canadian uh players they've been working hard <laughs> while nobody's watching um that's kind of how you live your life in women's hockey anyway and I think the team that's made the most gains in this downtime is really going to be the one that has the edge going into the world championships and then the Olympic games next year uh it'll be interesting to see all right Haley it's time for some rapid fire action We've got six lighthearted questions for you. Uh, we'll start the clock. What is your favorite way to unwind after a long day at hospital? Uh, Netflix and wine. <laughs> where is where is the vacation spot? We're going to see Haley Wickenheiser after COVID nineteen. Where can we find you? Oh man, I'll be in the rink. That's my vacation. <laughs> One word to describe why Saskatchewan uh, is among the produces among the most NHL players per capita. Incredible resiliency. There you go. When is the last time you played competitive softball? <laughs> I don't even know. I threw a ball last summer. That was it. It's been years. Two thousand. So really, two thousand. The Olympics. That's really kind of the last time you really. A competitive game. Yeah. Favorite American to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with? Who, who did you have the best battles with? Oh, Angela Ruggiero. She was huge, and we always had some good battles. And your most memorable goal scored? I know that's a tough one because there were a lot of them. <laughs> I think the Salt Lake City, uh, I think it made it 3-2 or something. I don't know if it was a game winner, but it was a big goal. So that was, that was one of them. Do you miss softball? 
Uh, yeah, I do. I miss, I miss playing. I love the game. I, I love uh, pl- playing the game, not so much watching uh, baseball per se, but I love playing, but just time and other things in life. I <laughs> just haven't had a chance. Well, uh, it sounds like you're super busy. Thanks for uh, sharing some time with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we, uh, we hope to get your thoughts when there's a big announcement, hopefully coming either for the world championships or more importantly, maybe for a women's league uh, coming potentially in the fall or uh, hopefully very soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys, and thanks for your support. It's awesome. That was the Hall of Famer, Haley Wickenheiser. Uh, always really intelligent stuff, and I'm curious to see, Frank, where the, the women's league is going to go. We know it's coming. I agree with Haley wholeheartedly that uh, you need one league, and and I think there's a chance here for the women's game to, to really get some traction moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I just wish that it didn't come down to pride and and stubbornness like one of these entities is going to have to bow out at a certain point in really in deference to the other and for the good of the game but there's some incredibly strong-willed people involved and to their credit uh everyone's trying so uh, you know certainly don't want to knock the nwhl or anything that's gone on there i think the way that their playoffs in Lake Placid and their bubble played out was unfortunate because that was an opportunity to gain some traction and now moving forward, like I said, you know, they've got to find a way to come together, thaw whatever freeze exists between the two organizations and either combine or, or one bow out. And to this point, we haven't been we haven't seen that. It'll be something to watch for sure is a, a great week coming up in the uh, NHL. Uh, when we talk next, Frank, it'll be the eve of your McDavid's Matthews matchup. I know you'll be super excited for that. So uh, we will uh, look forward to uh, catching up on the pod later this week. That is tasty. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. you got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first, and you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight cold 
hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.